0: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
5: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today. We're going to be talking about health for uh, a significant uh, amount of today's programs. Uh, during the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, the uh, CEO of Genesee Health Plan is going to be with me. They are a sponsor of the show, but they're celebrating a 20th anniversary this year. We're going to talk with uh, Jim Milinowski coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. In the second hour, we're going to talk with Dr. Mieri-Andrea, who is one of the cast members of a new documentary film called The Healthcare Cure. But first, we're going to explore the question, uh, can fixing dinner fix the planet? which is uh, the title of a new book by author and Johns Hopkins professor Jessica Fanzo, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Jessica. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me.
5: Did I say your last name right? Is it Fanzo or Fonzo?
1: Either. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Italian-Americans would call it Fonzo. <laughs> All
5: right. Well, we'll go with Fonzo. I, I'm just I'm so terrible with names and thank you for bearing with me on that. But can fixing dinner fix the planet? That puts a little bit more pressure on uh, on meal prep than the uh than the average dinner party. <laughs>
1: it
0: does. <laughs>
5: But what are we really talking about there? And, and I mentioned dinner parties specifically because so much of how we interact with each other is around food. We hear all the time about how we personally can eat differently for health and for sustaining the planet. But, but how do we bring those things into our celebrations and, and get-togethers?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, food is around us all the time, and it, and food is often used, you're right, Tom, to socialize, to celebrate special occasions. There's always a food element to, to those events and occasions, isn't it? And I think um, it, it's interesting because it's so integral and a part of our, our lives that we need food to survive, but it's often ignored when it comes time to fixing big issues like climate change like the covid pandemic like inequities food is sort of left off the agenda so it's fascinating that it's so part of our lives but essentially ungoverned and ignored uh, by many governments um and that's why our food systems really need uh, fixing. Um, they're huge contributors to climate change, huge contributors to the obesity pandemic that's moving across the world. And, um, you know, we saw with COVID some of the, the complex issues of, of ensuring that people have food security and get access to food. So it's one of these areas that we, we've underlooked um although it's around us
5: everywhere and every day <laughs> my uh, my significant other Sandy is a big proponent of uh, chia seeds and I oh yeah and and I was reading a little bit about um, Aztec warriors used to carry a little pouch of chia seeds and it would sustain them for days, weeks just just a small amount um, yet I, I have friends coming over for the fourth and i just can't get myself to serve chia seeds
1: (laughs) (laughs) well they are they are actually native to to central and southern mexico um and they have very high protein um but they have a certain texture right when when they get wet they expand and are a little bit kind of slimy tasting um but yeah they're really healthy um and it's interesting, a lot of these traditional foods like quinoa, chia seeds, um, you know, tons of these different sort of unknown um, foods that have become more and more popular in the United States, usually because of their health benefits. They are considered traditional foods of indigenous populations. And they, they were on to something, you know, centuries ago that we're just now. <laughs> yeah, starting to grasp the benefits of
5: those foods, but you're you're right when you say when we when we look at uh, at at climate change and these big issues, mm-hmm. we don't always think about food. Although I talk to people from PETA frequently, and they um, they do, <laughs> but but not everyone yeah. does. Uh, most of us. Um, and and the reverse is true on the consumer side of it we don't think about food as having much impact beyond um, you know quenching a thirst or or satisfying a craving and and often it's it's about taste i when i think of when i feel hungry the first thing i think of is stuff that i enjoy the taste of or like to eat I don't think of is this good for me is it good for the planet
1: agreed yeah I I mean I think a lot of consumers don't think about these larger issues of how food impacts health and the environment because they don't get the information It's, it's very hard to find out what's the carbon footprint of a food what's the water footprint of a food is this food healthy for me or not? It's a very confusing space. And so people opt for price, taste, convenience as their major drivers of why they buy a certain food when they walk into a market. And again, there needs to be better information provided to consumers so they can make a choice based on the things that they care about. They care about animal welfare. They should understand where that animals come from if you're into, you know, what PETA promotes. If you care about your health, what are the best options for a healthy diet? If you care about water, you know, what, what are the big issues around water and food and what are the kind of foods you should consume? Consumers just don't have that information, or if they have it, they get a lot of, A lot of confusing mixed messages, and that's part of the fault of researchers like myself, but it's also the fault of industry, food and beverage industry, and our governments. So we need to do better for we need to do better by people. Give them more information so they can make the choices that they
5: care about. Well, the socially conscious among us have gotten pretty good about looking for non-GMO.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
5: and the labeling has, has been sort of forced on, you know, food manufacturers and distributors uh, to um, label food a, as to um, the presence of, of GMO um, methods and, and practices, um, which, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, is uh, genetically modified um, and so, you know, we make a, de- a big deal about, uh, you know, animal cruelty by saying, well, I will only eat chicken that's free range,
1: mm-hmm.
5: but that's really yeah. not, but that's really not enough where, are um, you know, assuming that somehow, um, the chickens like that better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you start to unpack any food, you know, take eggs and the confusing labels on eggs, you know, which is the best? And, and this is where, you know, a lot of the, when you walk into a store, Tom, and you look at the label, a lot of the front of the package labeling is unregulated. You can kind of, industry can write what they want on there. Know, they can put a red barn with a little chicken in front of it and say it's sustainably raised. But what does that mean? You know And if you care about the chickens not eating GMO feed, um, how are you going to get that information? And so there needs to be more standardized practices on that front of the label. Um, on the back of the, the la- of, of packages, you see that more regulated, standardized language around the nutritional quality of the food and the ingredients list and things like that. We need that on the front of the package. It's a bit of a free for all right now. It's an unregulated space where, where, uh, packaging companies and, and food and beverage companies can put what they want. Like you often see non GMO, uh, or, or sorry, gluten free yeah. on tortilla chips, right? Where tortilla chips, don't have gluten in them. They're not made of wheat. They're made of corn, and of course it's gluten free. <laughs> but they util- you know, they've utilized that kind of attack to sell more products and and to to get consumers to buy those things. So,
5: well, and they want to appeal to people that are trying to find things that they can uh, eat and and remain on a gluten free diet. And mm-hmm. so they're saying, "Hey, look yeah. over here. We're gluten free." Um, yeah is is buying food from from a farmer's market um, or directly from farmers better by and large than what we get in our regular supermarket or chain stores?
1: Yeah, for several reasons because um, one is you are supporting local farmers, which is is really key for for local economies um so so that that that's probably the biggest uh, positive impact is supporting local farmers who um, you get to know the way they farm and the things that they care about and if your values and the things you care about align with those farmers why not support them as opposed to big conglomerate multinational companies i think also a lot of these farmers markets and, and local farmers that are grow they're growing things in different ways. They often are growing in with using more sustainable practices. They may not be organic, but some of them are. Um, their food travels less, so it's probably a bit fresher. It hasn't been frozen. Um, and so the food is usually quite tastier. The key key issue, though, is farmer's markets often, at least in in big cities, and I'm not sure um, what it's like in, in, in Michigan, is sometimes the farmer's markets are just too expensive for some population. They just can't afford the foods at the farmer's markets. That's why some of the using SNAP benefits and other safety net benefits um, that's that's farmers markets can can help yeah
5: that's that's true um, Jessica I have to take a short break here can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more yes yeah. All right, Absolutely. my guest My guest is uh, Jessica Fonzo. From, uh, auth- or she's uh, from Johns Hopkins and the author of a new book called Can Fixing Dinner Fix the Planet? And we're going to get into that question some more after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch a dial, don't click that mouse. We'll have more straight ahead
4: hello out there everybody it's me tigger ti double that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom Thunder program on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs>
8: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with uh, Johns Hopkins professor and author Jessica Fonzo about her new book called Can Fixing Dinner Fix the Planet? Jessica, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, good to
1: be here.
5: Thanks. Thanks. Jessica, I was thumbing through your book a minute ago, and and right out of the shoot, the introduction says, "Yes, we'll have no bananas." What what have you got against bananas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nothing, depending on how they're grown. You know, bananas are an interesting, sordid story. Now, they're they're considered, um, you know, one of the most consumed fruits in the world. Um, but you know. It, For bananas to get to the grocery store, so much happens in between, um, particularly on banana plantations where um, laborers are exposed to a lot of pesticides and agrochemicals. Um, The way bananas are grown, it's not the most sustainable uh, way, what they call monocropping, where you grow just one kind of crop across huge Flocks of land, which is, is a very risky endeavor from a climate change perspective, but also you know if you have a, a fungicide that wipes out a crop, so bananas have a sorted story as they get to to the market, and so there's a a, a big push to uh, move plantations, whether they be banana or palm oil um, or coconut towards more sustainable practices in the way plantations um, are managed and their impact on the environment, but also on the laborers that are picking those bananas or pulling those palm, palm seeds to make palm oil. So it's a great example of kind of multiple issues, this one fruit has multiple issues around health, environment, and and livelihoods and, and the people that are harvesting those foods for us. So it's kind of a uh, a depressing out-of-the-gate story that, that sets us up for the book, which of course gets more positive, but yeah.
5: But it addresses uh, one of the issues that comes up with all of the food we eat. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I used to joke because hunting is really big in Michigan and people will go out and, mm-hmm. and get their deer and, you know, have it have it dressed and um, and butchered and and they will live off the deer meat for some period of time.
8: Mm-hmm.
5: And and I've never been a gun guy or a hunter. And, and I always joke that I do my hunting at, at the A&P. But um, but the, but the point that you make when you talk about bananas and and other foods too, um, what happens to them from when they start to when they end up on the shelf and the things that are done to to make them look good and and seem appealing and and make a good presentation in the produce aisle um, or at the meat counter, it's um, those are things that that we're concerned about and a lot of people are suggesting that farm to table is the way to go but how practical is that
1: it's pretty practical i think because you know particularly in the united states so much food is grown in the united states there's there's farmers in every state there's um people processing and preparing food all over the country. Um, and and I think what you're getting at, Tom, is this idea of learning where your food comes from and understanding how it's sourced and how far it had to travel um, and is it impacting the local economy is, is important. And I think it can be realistic. Now, hunting is an interesting Um, practice because one could argue, well, it's, it's a cruel practice, but I think, you know, many hunters are thinking about sustainability all the time. You know, it's a very regulated industry. Um, it, it's it's often used to balance the ecosystem. And I think most hunters deeply understand where that deer meat came from. (laughs) That's a very (laughs) farm to fork endeavor. Um, you know, hunting is practiced all over the world, and some of it is sustainable and some of it is not. Um, And often hard choices are made about the preservation of some species um, and whether or not they should be protected. But, um, yeah, I I think it is possible to go at least more towards farm to fork. And it's possible even just to... Educate particularly young people and them understanding where their food has come from. We're so far removed from the farmer and understanding farmers' challenges, understanding what it takes to grow food and move food around the world. People are disconnected from that. And it's ironic because the United States was an we will, our agriculture system is the backbone of where we are now. It was an agrarian society, and our food system remains so important in feeding not just Americans, but people around the world. So I think learning about where our food comes from and the complex process it goes through and sometimes the hundreds of thousands of miles food travels, is something important for particularly young kids to understand
5: i you know I talk with a lot of people that that uh, are they have diet books or or recommendations about certain kinds of food to make you healthier mm-hmm. and they're talking about changing the food we eat Are you suggesting that we should look at and change the food we eat or change the way we produce, and distribute the food we eat?
1: Both. All of it. We need to change the entire food supply chain, and that starts from putting seeds in the ground all the way to what we put on our plate and the kinds of food that we we put on our plate. We need to change all of it. And that's what makes it such a daunting task, Tom, is that it's not one silver bullet solution. Well, if I, you know, reduce my red meat consumption, the whole food system is going to be fixed. That's just not true. We need, the food system is complex. There's many actors that are making decisions about how it functions. And uh, there's breakdowns in each, each step of the supply chain. So unfortunately, all of it needs fixing. And it's been sort of, Ungoverned for a long time, and that's why we're in the situation we're in. We've got you know massive obesity and hunger at the same time, which is ironic. Um,
5: <laughs> it really is, Jessica. That, that's it really is yeah. that's a head scratcher to be sure. Well,
1: let Yeah, me- and then we got you know, climate change too. You know, it's, it's just food systems contribute so much to climate change, and so we really. Something needs to be done at least for maybe Tom not we won't see it in our lifetime, but certainly for for children and our you know grandchildren they cannot we cannot have a food system that's functioning in this way in thirty or forty years to sustain you know eight nine billion people
5: but this has been a real uh, a real tough one for me because I talk to people who you know in, in with uh, all the best intentions who who want to Mm -hmm. encourage me to eat more healthy and i i grew up in the midwest and if it doesn't have meat and potatoes it's not really a meal um and and you know i've had people try to encourage me to eat more fish and less red meat and now i have people from PETA who tell me fish probably isn't such a good idea and Mm -hmm. you know it it gets confusing to people um whether their their concern is for the planet or for their own personal health, um, what what could I do differently, say coming up on the Fourth of July, I'm going to have some people over and and um, cooking on the grill will be involved, but what are some things I could do to entertain and be mindful of health for the people I'm having over and for the planet?
1: Well, I think if you're going to cook burgers, get high-quality meat. If you're going to get hamburger patties, get the highest quality you can at the price range that you can afford. So that could be grass-fed beef or um, you know cows that are raised more sustainably. Um you could opt to grill chicken, you know, some wings, and that's a, a, a more sustainable um, option. I would stay away from things like, I know this is a favorite during Fourth of July, hot dogs. You know, it's a highly processed product um, that is very high in salt. God knows what's in it. I think we know what's in it, but oh, those are- things you really...
5: Those are, fi- those, goofy, are, those are fighting words in my neck of the woods, Jessica, because we have a, uh, a local, uh, well, he calls himself a sausage maker, but uh, for uh, three de- uh, generations, his family has uh, made hot dogs. And people in this area would argue that they are much better quality than any of the hot dogs you would get anywhere else. Whether that's true or not, well, I'm not Well, really sure. his probably
1: are, Tom. His might be. You know, if, if he's getting high-quality uh, you know, swine pork products and he doesn't add a lot of preservatives and nitrates and all the sulfites and other kind of preservatives that um, you know, put us at higher risk for things like colon cancer his locally made sausages is a better option than buying Oscar Mayer wiener hot dogs
5: or ballpark or, you know,
1: yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, so if, if he is transparent about how he makes them and he's trying to buy the, the, the best quality products to put in his sausages, to me, that's a better option than going for the industrialized processed hot dogs yeah Um, and and
5: he and and in all fairness he he is and i've too i've toured his plant and it looks Mm. like a hospital i mean everything is is so clean and his process is so transparent and you know he talked about all the different ingredients and so on and you know anyway so we can move on from that because i think people widely understand that aside yeah. from this one local vendor hot dogs are probably not the best thing to to uh
1: get or into. tom hey go out and have a hot dog on july 4th but just don't eat them all the time right? <laughs> right, <but> just, <laughs> i wouldn't consider part of your consistent diet right it's splurge go for it have a hot dog it's fourth of july let's celebrate but but uh, don't make it a part of the mainstay of your
5: diet. Uh, but uh, but but I find that interesting because you don't shy away from saying that, you know, there there are these things that we enjoy, that we like to eat, that we, you know, routinely serve for an event like a 4th of July cookout um, mm. that can be done responsibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think, you know, when you start to say, don't do this, don't do that, and become restrictive, I think, you know, people just feel there's, it's paternalism, right? The people don't want to be told what to do. And I think the biggest changes people make is when they become enlightened and, and they begin to care about certain things. Let's say – Um. You know, you have a a middle-aged woman, and she has a heart attack, and she goes to the doctor, and her doctor says, you really need to change your diet. That's usually very eye-opening for a person because, you know, the fear of of death and and an unhealthy life. I think um, telling people don't do this because this may happen is not the best strategy to change people's behavior.
5: Well, Um, do you think that people are... Yeah. do you Do you think people are more willing to accept um suggestions of how they might do what they do better as opposed to don't do this
1: that, um in the United States absolutely <laughs> um I <Yeah>. think it's <laughs> I think in the u s yes um you know we very much value our freedoms and the right to choose. Um, and that is a very um, important part of being American. I think for a lot of people, and um, you know, this idea of governing our food is a scary proposition for for some people. Now, is that everyone? No. Of course, some people want governments to take more action, but others do not. So, I think it's understanding what people value, um, and 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 giving them the information for them to. To be able to make informed decisions that surround those values so if people care about animals and animal welfare it's giving them the information of what is the best way to raise chickens and these are the kind of foods you should consume or don't consume chickens because you care about animal welfare so i think it's all about giving people information and guiding them through various ways again better packaging um, better media interaction with, with scientists, um, having government step in and provide that kind of information, regulating industry to not continue uh, ensuring that unhealthy options are prioritized over healthy options. So to me, it's, it's, it's a, a mixture of, of government stepping in to provide that information, but also um uh media and scientists being better at giving information about the latest science and and what works for consumers.
5: I I recently uh <laughs> shared uh a, a personal observation that that you know in my lifetime I've been really creeped out at buffets that have a large fish in the middle with a head on it or going mm-hmm. to a cookout where there's, there's a pig over a spit with its head mm-hmm. and, a, and an apple in the mouth, you know, that standard pig roast image. I've always been creeped out by those images. And I think what you said, Jessica, about people getting more information will encourage people to make changes themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about the pig. You know, most people get a pork chop and they have no idea what animal that's come from or what that animal looks like. When you see the pig on a spit with an apple in its mouth, that's a bit of a reality check of what you're going to be consuming a couple of hours later, isn't it?
5: <laughs> it, it, it really is. And and uh, yeah, there are images like that throughout the food processing system that we don't see, uh, you know. I always joke mm-hmm. about trying to find bacon seeds because I want to grow my own bacon. But Ooh. the truth is that if we knew what was happening with the food, we would do things a little differently. Um, going forward, how do you how do you get people to transition from just ignoring all this information to looking at things a little more closely and having that impact the decisions they make about what to buy and what to prepare.
1: Well, I mean, I hope the book gives people the idea readers the idea that our everyday diet um, and the decisions we make are not only impacting ourselves, but everyone you know we're global citizens we share this planet with many people um i i hope that it empowers readers to think about immediate and long-term changes in a way that i use the word empower because i think informed decisions are really important so when someone walks into a restaurant or a grocery store or a farmer's market or their kitchen they understand what they're eating and the impacts for themselves and their family and the planet. And that's empowering to have that information, that you're not letting the food and beverage industry or even your government make those changes for you. You're making those changes because you care about X, Y, and Z. And that is empowering. So to me, it's We, the eaters, need to take back our food systems, learn about them, because we interact with them multiple times a day. But how, if there's anything you can do that could be more impactful and powerful is by understanding those decisions in that system that we interact with every day. And take it back, you know, take back some food justice. If I make this decision on, buying these three foods because these are the things i care about that's an empowering feeling but i hope that readers get get that more than anything else from the book
5: and once again the name of the book is can fixing dinner fix the planet it's written by johns hopkins professor jessica fonzo and jessica i didn't mention in the introduction that before going to johns hopkins you held positions at Columbia University, the Earth Institute, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, the UN World Food Program, Biodiversity uh, International, um, and the, uh, the World Agroforestry uh, Forestry Center in Kenya. This is not a new cause for you
1: no, it's not i've been you know i've been working on this for a long time, and uh I mean my thinking has evolved you know as we get more better science, better research you know i'm i it feels new to me still tom because it, it's it's always kind of a changing area, and with new challenges like the pandemic and its impacts on the food system have have you know um it keeps me very engaged in it, but at the end of the day, there's still this issue that we need to fix the food system,
5: well, um, and
1: that's, that's been a long time coming.
5: Jessica, yeah. we just we just have a minute left, and I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, obviously, the book is a great place to start, but um, do you have a website that, that links to some some good resources
1: i do um you can go to it's, it's for, for some of the work that we do you that you can find me on just google john Hopkins and jessica fonzo but i also have a, a website where i have lots of resources called the food archive uh the foodarchive.com and and that i put tons of different resources of some of the things we've been talking about today
5: Well, Jessica, I have to tell you, it has been a real pleasure and an honor to to visit with you. I appreciate you sharing your expertise with me and the listeners this morning, but I especially appreciate someone who doesn't tell me I have to stop doing everything I like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right
5: <laughs> my my dad had a little uh, plaque uh, on the wall over his desk <laughs> that said uh, everything that I love is either illegal, immoral, or fattening
7: <laughs> oh, yeah
1: it's, it's true, it's hard it's hard to eat, eat uh, and hit all the right buttons but I think you can still enjoy a great diet and, and uh, yeah, and uh, Enjoy life at the
5: same time and save the planet. Jessica, thanks so much uh, for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you so much.
5: Take care. Again, that was uh, author and Johns Hopkins professor Jessica Fonzo, author of "Can Fixing Dinner Fix the Planet." We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
7: Hi, this is joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
7: A shout like that Well It's uh, like right in my ear, man Well, it goes with the song Yeah, but don't holler in my ear, well, man Well, it's an authentic, uh, calypso Yeah, but like I stand next to me, man Well, the shout goes with the bongo drums Well, not my bongo drums, man I mean, move away Well, don't I don't know. see why, No, uh, no, Mom, no Stand well. over next to the guitar, man He sent me over here Yeah Well, then sing soft, man You know, I mean, like, wow Okay yeah! It's too loud, man day, That's he's a day, is a day, is day, is day, is day, day, oh. Daylight come, want, oh. Yeah, man. Who work all night and a drink of rum? Daylight come, me one, go home. Stop banana till the morning come. Daylight come and we won't go home Lift six foot, hold seven it, man. foot, eight hold hold it, foot, man. punch Daylight Too come, loud, man, too loud Six foot, seven hold it, foot, man. eight hold it, hold foot, punch My ears, my ears, like my ears no, hold it, man. It's too shrill, man. It's too piercing. Oh, well, I don't see why. No, it's too piercing, man. Uh, it's too piercing. Well, I got to do the shout. No, man, it's too piercing. Like I don't dig loud noises. Well,
4: you ruined the whole... Piercing. ...record is what you do.
7: Yeah, well, tough. I'll take my bongos and go, man, because the whole thing is like bugging me anyhow. Yeah, well, wait a minute. I won't no, shout. No, I'm a call. man. No. Like I didn't want to make this gig in the first place. No, no, wait a minute. I'll be soft. Yeah. Well, then back off of me, man. It's too piercing. Okay. How's this? Day-oh. Too loud, man. Okay. Day-oh.
0: Too loud, man. I can still hear you. Would you mind leaving the room? Okay. Day-oh.
8: Crazy.
7: Daylight come and we will go home. I come and we won't go home. Have you bunch of bright banana? They like come and we won't go home. Hide the deadly black tarantula. Daylight. Oh man, don't sing about spiders. I mean, ooh, well, like I don't dig spiders. Well, that's that's how the song goes. He goes, Hide the deadly black tarantula. They like come and we won't go is that it? Can I leave now? Oh, not yet. we got a big finish. Yeah, zip in, zip in, zip in, zip in. yeah man. I locked myself out. Crazy. <laughs> I come through the window. Daylight come and be warm.
4: which is very cool. Or, if you wish, a dish that's Chinese. Somewhere down in column B, there's lobster Cantonese. Enchiladas, that's what people eat in Mexico. Shish kebab is skewered in Armenia, you know. Then there's blubber, the favorite of the frigid Eskimo. Such delicious dishes, no matter where you go. Chicken cacciatore is Italian. Kangaroo souffle must be Australian. Mutton chops are definitely British. Chicken soup undoubtedly is Yiddish. Palm comes from Lithuania. Hansenfeld. Fern comes from Pennsylvania. Wiener Schnitzel's Austrian or German. Kindly pass the Sauerbraten Herman. Borst is what they're eating in the Soviet. Wait, I think we've got some on the stove yet. <laughs> See the mouse underneath the jungle sky. Jolly. Mao, Mao's eating missionary pie (laughs) Frenchmen eat a lot of bouillabaisse there Dutchmen eat a sauce called hollandaise there board in Sweden is the winner In America it's TV dinner (laughs) So there One food from each land, each one delicious, each one simply grand. Mix them all up in one big mishmash, and what have you got? Hungarian goulash. Hey! This was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
7: That the races run Your feet will tell you something That you know deep down is true Oh yeah When you put on that old record Blues will take good care of you Hey, Hey, let the blues Take good care of you Just do your thing Let the blues Let the blues take good care of you
4: from your program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!